Well, we're starting a new series today called Living Well from the book of Ecclesiastes. One of my favorite books in the Bible. Uh, not an easy book to get your brain around, but it's worth the work. It's got some great insight, especially in the world that we live in today and uh, any time in the, in the world today. Because uh, I'm sure that as you read it, how many of you uh, have read Ecclesiastes? Parts of it. So uh, some of you have, some of you haven't. Uh, I think anybody who starts reading it will unfortunately relate. <laughs> and you read it and you read about the frustration in, of life and the meaninglessness of life and, and, and all of that. And you just, you just know, well, yeah, that's the same world I live in. In fact, if, if you don't read on, you can be very discouraged by Ecclesiastes. And so much so that for, for years ago, some scholars tried to say that wasn't a really part of the canon of Scripture, uh, but it was just a, a bitter guy who was writing not under the inspiration of God. But I don't agree with that at all. I think Ecclesiastes has a lot to say to us about life. And so we're going to get started today. Uh, the title of my message is Stop Working for Meaning. Stop Working for Meaning. We start in Ecclesiastes chapter 1, verse 2 and 3, and here's Solomon, the king of Israel, at the end of his life, near the end of his life, he writes kind of a summary of his life. And one thing to re realize is um, he knew where he was going when he was writing. He, he didn't, this was not a suicide note that got interrupted, though it's going to feel like that, like it's a suicide note that, that somebody just interrupted him in before he, he uh, jumped off the cliff or, or, or put, tied the noose around his neck. Uh, Ecclesiastes 1 says, meaningless, meaningless, says the teacher. If you read the King James Bible, you probably heard the term vanity. Vanity, says the teacher. Solomon is the teacher. Utterly meaningless. Everything is meaningless. What does a man gain from all his labor at which he toils under the sun? So I'm going to talk to you today about, believe it or not, how to get more out of life. Our teacher, Solomon, was one of the great achievers to ever live. But in Chapter 1 and 2, he teaches us about frustration and futility. And actually, we're going to see he's going to teach us how to stop letting frustration and futility rob us of the joy of our work and the joy of the blessings that come from our labor. Let's jump on to chapter 2, verse 4, and he just kind of continues on this theme. We're kind of going to leapfrog over some material there in chapter 1, and we'll probably get back to that over the summer, because we're going to be talking about this for the rest of the summer. I also tried to find meaning, he said, by building homes for myself and by planting beautiful vineyards. I made gardens and parks, filling them with all kinds of fruit trees. I built reservoirs to collect the water to irrigate my many flourishing groves. I brought slaves, both men and women, and others were born into my household. I also owned large herds and flocks, more than any of the kings who had lived in Jerusalem before me. I collected great sums of silver and gold and the treasures of many kings and provinces. I hired wonderful singers, both men and women. I had many beautiful concubines. I had everything a man could desire. So I became greater than all who had lived in Jerusalem before me, and my wisdom never failed me. Anything I wanted, I would take. In other, word, other words, my ingenuity just always worked. I could always... I could always make things happen. I could always win. I could always dominate. 
Anytime, anything I wanted, I would take. I denied myself no pleasure. I even found great pleasure in hard work, a reward for all my labors. But as I looked at everything I had worked so hard to accomplish, it was all so meaningless, like chasing the wind. There was nothing really worthwhile anywhere. Now, as we read this, don't let the scope of Solomon's kingdom rob you of the insight and wisdom you can have for the breadth of your life and the territory you know, whether you're, whether you're ruling, trying to rule three children or you're trying to rule a major corporation, uh, the principles are the same. Whether you're trying to, to run a one-man service company or you're trying to, trying to uh, build a ma- major chain of service companies, the principles are the same. And you can find the same level of despair and frustration or in the end, the same level of joy if you learn certain principles that God has for us in his word here today. So the breadth of your work in ministry, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. The principles are the same. Whether, whether someone like myself is pastoring a church that on any given Sunday we have four 450, 500 people, including everybody all over the building, are a church of 4,000 or 5,000. The, the wrestling with frustration and, a, and a, a, a striving for meaning is the same. I, I heard of a, a, someone ask a pastor who pastored a, a mega, mega church, thousands and thousands of people, multiple services. They ask him, what keeps you awake at night? And he said, I'll tell you what it is. It's when I'm up preaching and I look off to my right or my left or in the center aisle, the center section, and I see that empty seat. And I know the person who's supposed to be setting that seat in that seat. And I know they've left my church for no good reason. That keeps me awake at night. So he ran thousands and thousands of people. So it's all the same. So whether you're just a a single parent trying to succeed with two or three children, or you are a, 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 an insurance executive, or you are a bank teller, or, or your work at the, at the Dunkin' Donuts drive-through, you, everybody has the opportunity to experience nothing but frustration, nothing but despair from their labor, or joy and peace and satisfaction. Let's try to figure it out today. Now, well, I meant to say the breadth of your work and ministry is determined by opportunity and capacity. Everybody doesn't have the same opportunity for the same size of kingdom or work. Everybody doesn't have the same capacity. We can enlarge our capacity usually better than we can change our opportunity. But anyway, that's how it goes. Uh, it's interesting, uh, a little verse, kind of an aside verse that I want to throw out there is 1 Corinthians 3.13. that says the fire will test the quality of each man's work. I think I find that very interesting that when we get to the end of this thing, we get to the end of life, God will not check on the quantity of our work, but the quality of our work. So let's talk about this. Let's talk about having a right or wrong relationship with your responsibilities and your achievements. A wrong relationship with your responsibilities can make you as miserable and toxic as Solomon became at a point in his life. A right relationship with your, with your responsibilities and your achievements can make you contented, satisfied, 
connected with God as it did Solomon later on. I want to thank Solomon today for not just passively accepting despair. Unlike a lot of people, he kept pressing into the pain of his existence until he got answers. He didn't stop when life became frustrating and full of despair. He didn't stop and say, you know, it's no use. He didn't become, he didn't just let himself remain a cynic. He did not let himself remain in despair, but he pressed, he pushed, he kept that same thing that caused him to become a man who would ask for wisdoms to start with. That same fire continued into his despair. And maybe you're here today and maybe you need to push again. Maybe you have run into that wall of frustration and despair and disappointment. And I want to, today's message, if I could encourage you to get back up and lean in again to life. Lean in again to see that there's something beyond the veil of tears. There's something beyond the feeling of frustration. There's something beyond the feeling that nothing matters, that all is vanity. There's something beyond that feeling that nothing will last and it's all futile. There's something beyond that if you will be a person of character and a person with a medal. I'm going to press through and I'm going to find out why life isn't working for me like it's supposed to. I'm going to find out why my spirituality isn't working. I'm going to find out why I don't feel close to God anymore. I'm going to find out why I don't have inner peace. Develop, develop a healthy curiosity as to why things aren't working when they're not working. Develop a healthy curiosity as to why relationships are not working when they're not working. God has an answer for people who press in. I said, God has an answer for people who press in. The futility of all earthly achievement is this. It's accompanied with frustration and the big one, we can't make it last. We can't make it last. You may not realize it, but God, after the fall of Adam and Eve, God made a decision. And we find it clarified in Romans 8.20. For the creation was subjected to frustration. So think about your frustration for a minute. Think You're thinking about it? Think about all your frustration in life? And now... And I say, thank you, God. (laughs) Say, thanks a lot, God. You subjected the creation to frustration. Now, the word in the King James for vanity or meaningless that he says in chapter 1, verse 1 and 2, the word that's translated vanity is not really a great translation because vanity is about, when we think of vanity, we think of pride, empty pride, which it, it relates uh, even meaningless may not be the best word. The, the original Hebrew word meant transitory and unsatisfactory. Transitory and unsatisfactory, especially, I believe, and we read, if you read the, all the text in chapter, you read chapter 1 and 2, you see that his, Solomon's major frustration was that life was so transitory. He couldn't make it lasts. The Greek companion word for transitory, for that word vanity or translated vanity or meaningless, the, the Greek companion word means vapor or breath or mist. 
In other words, Solomon was saying, it's driving me crazy that I, everything keeps changing on me. I can't get it right. And it does, I get it right and it doesn't stay right. I get everything situated. I get everything organized. I get organized for sex, success. It doesn't stay organized for success. Now Solomon, see Solomon had made a, a mistake and he, he corrects his mistake. As you read through Ecclesiastes, you see he, he starts correcting a major mistake he made. The mistake that Solomon made is he went beyond the original purpose that God gave him wisdom. And, and I know, you know, if you look at many things about his lifestyle, I, I know you're, you're probably focused on the idolatry that he got involved in, and you're probably focused on uh, the, all the wives and concubines that he collected. And all that's a problem, but it really, it really, there's really a deeper problem than just those uh, moral decisions. The, the, the mistake that Solomon made, and this is the one I want, to, I want us to zero in on today, is he made the mistake of determining, I'm going to find meaning in my work, in my accomplishments, and I'm going to establish eternity through my work and my accomplishments. Look at what he said in verse 17 of chapter 2. So I hated life because the work that is done under the sun was grievous to me. All of it is meaningless. There's that word again, transitory, temporary. All of it's temporary. A chasing after the wind. I hated all the things I had toiled for under the sun because I must leave them to the one who comes after me. God never intended for us to find meaning or establish eternity with our work or our accomplishments. By the way, workaholism is not about just about working too much. It's about having a wrong relationship with work and therefore a wrong relationship with God. Workaholism is about giving work and accomplishment a meaning in your life that only God can measure up to. I said workaholism is about giving God or giving work and accomplishment. And a lot of things go into that. Acquisition. Acquisition. The, 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 the people that are out there enjoying their toys today are, are, are people, that's an extension of their work. That's an extension of their labor. Because the reason they work is so they could have those toys that they could go to the beach and the lake and the forest and the woods and all the places they go to have leisure. They work hard so they can have those things and so they can have that, that great set of golf clubs and they can have that country club membership. They work hard to have those things and, and, and not, we're going to see it's not wrong to have those things, but the problem was when, 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 when your work and your acquisitions and your accomplishments and your awards and all of that, when, that, when you begin to say, I'm going to find meaning in life through those things, and you try to put those things in a place that only God can measure up, and you begin to have an idolatrous relationship with life. You begin to have an idolatrous relationship, and sometimes you don't e even realize it. You know, I realize I'm dealing with an idol when it refuses to serve me no matter how much I sacrifice for it. It refuses to serve me. It, you know, in a very interesting way, 
God serves us in a very interesting way. When I bless the Lord and I love him and I give to him and I worship him and I spend time with him, either by serving others or by just by, by prayer and meditation, God gives back to me in ways that money can't buy. He, he, you ever think about that? That God, it, you know, we're made in the image of God, and I'll make this analogy again later in the sermon uh, about, uh, I, think, I think we discover the image of God when we, we, when we are around children that we love and, and we serve those children. I, I, I did read somebody said this week that, that, that they did not believe in the doctrine of the utter depravity of man until their child turned two. And now they believe in the utter depravity of man. For those of you who don't ever study theology, just look that up. That's a, that's a doctrine that Calvinists really love that doctrine. Uh, but we sort of believe in it too, I guess, as uh, Arminians. But um, no, one thing that happens to you when you have kids is you enjoy doing for them. And you really can't explain it, can you? I mean, there's some people that, that never overcome their selfishness even when they have children. But for most of us, that, and you find this turning starts to happen that you really would rather do for them than even yourself sometimes. There's just, just something about seeing them happy is such a rewarding feeling when you're a parent. And it's even more rewarding when you're a grandparent. <laughs> God serves us. God's like a good parent. I mean, if you don't believe it, take a drive today. Look at creation. Go to the beach and watch the sunset. He didn't create that for himself. He created that for you. And, and, but he also created that for you and he to enjoy together. <laughs> we all relate to this frustration, though. This futile, this transitory nature of life, you know, I joke, I jokingly say that I've built a lot of churches in this area, though I only intended to build one. <laughs> so a couple of you got that. So a couple of you, some of you, what's he talking about? Oh, pastor, you're so great. You built all these churches. You're, what a man of God you are. No, I wasn't trying to build all those other churches. I just couldn't keep, get people to stay. <laughs> And so they went other places. And, and I've had to come to terms with that. I've had to come to terms with, I can't keep them in the house, man. I can't. I, I get everybody all together and we, things are at a certain place and we're going to go to the next level. And then something happens. And sometimes it's just people get transferred. They move away. Sometimes they get disenchanted. Sometimes life just happens to them. I find out they don't go to church anywhere anymore. Sometimes I, I guess they just find out there's a better preacher somewhere. And, and uh, I, I remember, that this, is, I, this is kind of the, the, what Solomon's talking about here. I remember when we uh, did 40 Days of Purpose. And it just coincidentally, I can't, it, was a God, it had to be a God thing, that we, at the end of this campaign called 40 Days of Purpose, based on the bestseller, The Purpose Driven Life. At the end of it, we baptized 40 people 
in water right out there in the gym. We had the portable baptismal tank. We baptized 40 people. And it was just an awesome day of celebration as we're having the final celebration. And I remember looking across the gym as we're having this fabulous celebration. Our, our, our midweek groups had just exploded. And all these things, you know, our, our, we did small groups for the first time. And I remember in that, in that time of celebration, I looked across the gym and I saw a little group of people all talking. And I could tell they weren't happy. I could tell they weren't celebrating the rest of us. That's what Solomon is talking about. Life is full of frustration. You, you just can't hold it together. You know, uh, Sherry, and I, Sherry said some beautiful words to me the other day, but probably some of those beautiful words and kind and, and sweet and intimate words she's ever said to me in, in all these years of marriage. She said, Phil, let's get a 30-yard dumpster. And put it in front of our house. <laughs> and and Sherry was never, uh, I don't want to give you any impression, she was never a pack rat or a hoarder or anything, anything close to that. But she would kind of hold on to things. And I remember we'd have like three, four coffee pots. And I said, Sherry, why do we have to keep them? Oh, we'll, we'll need them someday, you know. But boy, she got, she got converted. And, and we had such a great time filling that dumpster up with stuff. And but one day I looked at it. The thing is overflowing. And we got the thing totally full with treasures from, from 37 years together. That when we bought them, they were going to make us happy, right? And now, now they're gone. They, now, now they make us frustrated. That's life. The, the contents of your home will some, someday be sold at auction or something. Someday, someday someone else will manage your portfolio and everything that you have worked for uh, will be gone. Uh, the, the kids will sell the vacation house, uh, uh, Jim, and, uh, uh, that you worked so hard. You thought they would love it, and you, you know, they would want to go there and take their grandchildren there, and they will have no use for it at all. They, they will invade your house someday and ask, why did mom and dad keep all this crap? That's what <laughs> Your company will move to South Carolina or Texas or Mexico. Your treasures will end up at the blessing barn. You know, F.W. Woolworth was the founder of, of Woolworth chain stores, that some of us older folks remember. Uh, became one of the, uh, uh, F.W. Woolworth became one of the richest men in the world by the early 1900s. And a portion of his for fortune, more than 50 million, and that's in early 1900s, so you can imagine what it meant then, was given to his granddaughter, Barbara Hutton, when she turned 21 in 1933. Although she was one of the richest women in America, she was never able to find happiness. She married seven times, including among her husbands was a prince, a count, and the actor Cary Grant. She became alcoholic, anorexic, numerous divorces, left her almost bankrupt. When she died at 65, she weighed less than 100 pounds. Her wealth was gone. It's the story of F.W. Woolworth and Barbara Hutton but Solomon says that when you work hard to make a fortune, you build an empire, and you're a success, you're still going to die and have to leave it behind. And when you do, you will leave everything behind. To, you might leave it to Barbara Hutton, who, who received all of these magnificent gifts. A magnificent, she, she got a yacht for her 18th birthday. And, and today you can, you can book a room in that yacht in Stockholm, Sweden, for $59 a night. <laughs> Someone will end up with the, that. Someone people have ended up with her big Rolls Royces and uh, probably spilling coffee over polished wood in it. You know, 
somebody will take your beautiful house and paint it orange or, or rent it to a bunch of college freshmen. <laughs> you, you know, your favorite pair of $200 shoes, like, like I said, will end up at the Blessing Barn. Uh, the, the, the land, the, the piece of land that's so precious to you will, will become a trailer park or something, you know? <laughs> you can't take it with you. No, you know, Woody Allen said, I don't want to achieve immortality through my work. I want to achieve it by not dying. <laughs> he understood it. The great Russian novelist, Leo Tolstoy, wrote, My question, that which at the age of 50 brought me to the verge of suicide, was the simplest of questions lying in the soul of every man, a question without an answer to which one cannot live. It was, what will come of what I am doing today or tomorrow? What will come of my whole life? Why should I live? Why wish for anything or do anything? It can also be expressed thus, is there any meaning in my life that the inevitable death awaiting me does not destroy. We know that Solomon, when he died, he left his beautiful gardens, his vast kingdom, all his gold, his massive wealth to his son Rehoboam. Rehoboam lost more than 80% of his father's kingdom. Rehoboam was a world-class fool. Now, here we are. You know, we think Solomon's ready to jump off the cliff or wrap the noose around his neck or drink the strychnine. We think he's, he's done. And, and it's, it's like he's been on a, a three-day bender and then he sobers up. And we get down to Ecclesiastes chapter 2, Ecclesiastes chapter 2, verse 24. And he says, So I decided there's nothing better than to enjoy food and drink and to find satisfaction in work. Then I realized that these pleasures are from the hand of God for who can eat or enjoy anything apart from Him. Now that's, you know, it reminds me of the cartoon uh, 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 that shows a publisher pleading with a novelist. This cartoon shows this uh, uh, publicist, this publisher, pleading with this novelist to change his opening line. And, 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 and the, the, the line in the cartoon goes like this. Mr. Dickens, either it was the best of times or it was the worst of times. It can't be both. <laughs> so what was it with Solomon? What happened? He's telling you in chapter 1, all through chapter 2, how life is meaningless, chasing of the wind, you're going to leave everything you have to some fool who's going to, who's going to give it all away or waste it or not going to be interested in it. He said, I, he said, I decided to enjoy my life. I decided to just, in, just enjoy my life. Now, now, hold on a minute. I know you don't think that's very profound or very deep. The decision to enjoy one's life. The decision to enjoy one's work. The decision to enjoy the moment. But that is huge. Because when he did it, when he did it, the next thing he said was, I realize these pleasures from the hand of God. Now, I've always taught people that if you'll go to God, he will lead you to joy. He will lead you to satisfaction. But maybe I've had it wrong. Maybe 
It's the decision to have joy that leads you to God. Maybe it's the decision that you will be satisfied with life and you will stop whining and complaining, as I do often, and you will, you will stop being negative and you will stop being pessimistic and you will stop being a curmudgeon. Maybe it's that decision that would open up the heavens to you and cause you to discover there's a joyful divine God who has an eternal plan that it doesn't matter if everything burns up. It doesn't matter if they turn your precious land into a trailer park. It doesn't matter if your $200 shoes end up at the blessing barn. It doesn't even really, really matter if this church morphs into some other church someday after I'm gone. Please don't do it before I'm gone. But (laughs) it doesn't matter... Because God and I are having pleasure in this moment preaching this sermon to you and I'm having a good time doing it and God is in the midst of it. You, you notice something? Don't go clap yet. Don't clap yet. Because you know the word enthusiasm? You know where it comes from? It comes from two Greek words. E-N. It actually is just what it sounds. It equals, it means I am. In the rest of the word is theos. God. Enthusiasm means to be in God. So when you move from pessimism and negativism and despair and hatred and lovelessness and joylessness and you move to joy and satisfaction and you decide that you're going to embrace your your work and enjoy your work today and you're going to find satisfaction in it, you run head on into God. Isn't that awesome? Now you can clap. Here's the insight from Solomon. We're supposed to find satisfaction in our work, not meaning. Your work does not define you. God defines you. You've been created by God. Because we've created this whole theology today that you've got to, everybody's got to find some incredible work that's, that says you're an incredible person. And you know what they're having a hard time finding? They're, you know what's paying big money now? Manual labor. People who can actually repair something are being paid more than people who have these big fancy things that they feel passionate about. (laughs) We've become addicted to having a job we feel passionate about. You know, I've been trying, we've been trying for like nearly two weeks to find a locksmith. Now I can find people that, that can do stuff on a computer. They're all around me but I can't find anybody to fix a lock. Maybe if you're thinking of a career choice out there, maybe you would consider being a locksmith. I'm telling you, there is something, to, something we need to rediscover, and that's a joy and satisfaction in any kind of work. Whether you're Hey, if you get to write songs and that's your passion to write songs, that's great. But I believe that God is also involved in house painters. 
I, I believe that God is really involved with, with auto mechanics. I, I don't care if my auto mechanic feels missional about automobiles. I don't care if he feels a missionary to mechanical stuff. I just want him to enjoy his work. I said, I just want my auto mechanic to have competence and a good attitude. I just want him to be satisfied with his work. Because if he's satisfied with his work, I will be satisfied with his work. And my car will run. We've lost, we've lost the ability to enjoy the mundane things of life with some idea that we're going to find work or we're going to find activities or leisure that is going to, you know, we, we even let this whole ego thing get into our leisure. We try to go out, you know, I try to go out and enjoy a round of golf, but I end up, I end up attaching meaning to life to how I, how I can't hit a golf ball. I, I end up attaching meaning to life and, and start calling myself an idiot about hole number nine. Why do we do that? Why do we do that? Because there's something broken in us. Something about the sin nature is we try to take things in life that were never intended to give us meaning and we try to force them to give us meaning. I had to figure out that losing my keys did not make me a bad person or a stupid person. In fact, it's because, I, I figured it out, it's because my mind is on such complex, <laughs> deep things that I can't be bothered to be worrying about where in the heck my keys are. <laughs> I, I should be a political spinster, you know, like as in spin, not, not, a, not an elderly uh, lady. <laughs> a key to understanding Ecclesiastes is the recurring phrase. Some of you know it, some of you study Ecclesiastes. What is the recurring phrase that's the key to understanding despair versus joy? Under the sun. When you realize every time he talks about despair, every time he talks about meaninglessness, he uses the phrase under the sun. The reason we're in church today is because we desire to transcend and connect with the one who's above the sun. Solomon didn't get happy until he reconnected with the one who was above the sun. Solomon concludes that the heartfelt enjoyment of a thing is a connection with our eternal God. As I mentioned, enthusiasm, entheos, that comes from God. When we find joy in what we're doing, we find God in what we do. Now, Solomon doesn't conclude that all of life is meaningless at all, which is why transitory are always changing is a more accurate word. Our work and our accomplishments are full of meaning when we connect them with the eternal purpose of God under the sun. Above the sun, I meant to say. Uh, Susan Pfeffer and I were talking yesterday to Erica and Dan's celebration, and she was talking about the feeding program that we're doing downtown, BCC downtown. And uh, Susan's down there helping. God bless her. And uh, Linda Porch and many others. So raise your hand if you're helping downtown. I can't. Uh, okay. Just look around. A lot of people. Thank you. 
And she was really, I saw Susan, she got really, all, she was all excited talking yesterday about a little girl, a little girl that she met at the feeding program. She and her mother came in. Her mother works at one of the hair salons downtown. And the little girl has to go to work with her mother every day. And Susan was all excited. I'm going to pick her up and bring her to VBS this week. That little girl wants to come to VBS. And all excited about the little girl. What, what, is that, what is that about? That's someone who's connecting with under the sun activities, with above the sun activities, and that, it may change that little girl's life. Some of you got started that way. Somebody took an interest in you and took you to Sunday school or vacation Bible school. See, we're supposed to find immediate enjoyment in our work and the fruit of our work, whether we're changing the world or not. Some today misunderstood those who believe we can be responsible stewards of the world without our goal being utopia. But we can. We can. We can be responsible stewards of the planet, not because we're going to save the planet, but because I'm going to stand before God someday, and he's going to ask me how I treated the planet. He's going to ask me, what kind of steward was I of the planet? Did I dump pollution and did I dump toxic waste into the planet? Or did I respect the world that he made? And that is, to me, a much stronger motivation for, for being an ecologist than that I, I'm going to save the planet. I don't even know what that means. Save the planet. I'm going to do my best to save it. But I'm going to have to leave that in the hands of Almighty God, ultimately. I'm going to answer for how I treat it because it belongs to God. That's a totally different perspective than the burden of I have to save it. Or the burden is I have to create utopia. The, just a simple burden is I have to please God. I can handle that. Amen? I can handle that. We're supposed to see our work as a gift from God that brings God and man pleasure. God and man pleasure. I talked about, you know, a minute ago, about pleasing, enjoying our children, enjoying themselves. Uh, July the 4th, I had a, 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 we had a scene unfold that I will always remember and probably always tell the story and bore my family to death by telling the story. But Eden is jumping off the diving board, my little three-year-old grandson. He's jumping off the diving board. And so I said, Eden, do, he's back in the water now. He's going to swim away from the uh, stairs. And I said, Eden, go do a belly flop off the diving board. And he wouldn't even look at me. And I said, Eden, I'll buy you an ice cream. And his head went like that. And he immediately, those of you watching it happen, immediately he goes up the stairs, up on the diving board, bam, belly flop, right? And he comes out of the water, and uh, I said, he, he said, or, he said, can I get a really big one? I said, if you'll do another belly flop. So he jumps back to the diving board, boom, another belly flop, right on his, I, it just looked painful to me. Oh, I guess it's kind of sick that I enjoyed it. It, it, and, and then he said, can I get sprinkles on it? I said, you will have to do another belly flop. And he did another belly flop. You know, God was all over that place because we were having fun. 
God was all over that. And, and, and God went to the Dairy Queen with us. Amen? We're supposed to see our work as a gift from God that brings God and man mutual pleasure. That's what we're supposed to do. Eric Little, that famous runner in that Olympics so many years ago, who I love the story, the chariots of fire. I love the story of his refusal to dishonor God by running on, the, on Sunday. But went on to win, I think, two or three gold medals. And at one point before that, his sister's trying to talk him out of, going to, of continuing to run and to talk him into going into ministry, which he did. He later became a missionary to China. And uh, he said to her, and you know this famous line from the movie, I feel God's pleasure when I run. If I give up running, it would be to hold him in contempt. I'm not suggesting you don't care about results and you don't try to achieve greatness. God help you if you don't. But if you want sustainable joy and if you want to avoid the despair that has led so many high achievers and failures to turn to drugs, alcohol, literally go insane, learn to experience the pleasure of what you do. Learn to experience the pleasure of what you do. As I studied this week, that's what I came to. I had to rethink my frustrations as a pastor. I had to rethink the disappointments which you know about and you're aware of those disappointments. I, just like the rest of you have in your work. And I had to come back to God. Do I enjoy what I do? Do I enjoy visiting people in the hospital? Yes, I do. God, do I enjoy preparing sermons and getting up here and preaching those sermons? Yes, I, I enjoy that. I like that. And it's like the Lord said, well, that's all I want out of you. That's all I want out of you. I want you to serve me with joy and work hard every day, serve me with joy, put in the hours. In the final, final end, I will, I will manage the results and I will judge you. And someday you will stand before me and I will say, well done. You did a good job. God expects us to do quality in our, our work. Well done. Good. Well done, good. That's quality. Faithful. You were consistent. Even when life got frustrating and when people didn't appreciate what you did. Faithful. What's the next one? Servant. You, were, you served people. You served humanity. It doesn't matter completely whether the institution that you built lasted another 200 years or whether it died with you. Because everything we do is going into eternity. Everything we do is going into eternity. We used to sing a little song on the other side. Treasures there have I. Treasures that this world and all its wealth can never buy. And when I reach that city and the gates swing open wide, I'll be glad. I'll be glad. My treasures are on the other side. That's the life that God wants to give you. A transcendent life where this life has meaning because it goes into eternity. And nothing can rob you of that.
Nobody who hates you, nobody who walks away from you, nobody who doesn't reward you, the company that folded, even though you did your best, God, it, the, the work that you did is waiting for you in the presence of God. Do you get that? Do you understand that? Hallelujah. Solomon forgot that simple prayer that made him great in the first place. Look back into Chronicles with me, chapter 2 Chronicles chapter 1, verse 9. O Lord, God, please continue to keep your promise to David, my father, for you've made me king over a people as numerous as the dust of the earth. Give me the wisdom and knowledge to lead them properly. For who could govern this people, this great people, but yours? He started out just wanting to serve people, but he made the mistake of moving to try to find self-esteem, meaning and eternity through his work instead of just caring about people and serving them and loving God. He complicated his life. Maybe you're here today and you would say, Pastor Phil, I need to simplify my life again. I've gotten all complicated. I've gotten my ego completely involved in everything I do and I'm mad at everybody and I'm frustrated at everybody and I want to just go back to knowing and loving God and enjoying my work. Matthew 25, 23, we said it a while ago. His master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. Let's enter into response time. If you're a regular Bethany, you know what this time is. It's time to come and be prayed for. It's time to bring your burdens to the Lord. It's time to bring your cares and your worries and your frustrations and have good friends who will lay, who'll lay hand on your shoulder, might even give you a word of counsel if you want it or direct you to other resources that we can give you if you need them. And maybe you're here today and you've never become a follower of Jesus Christ. You've never committed your life to be, be his follower and have him forgive you of all of your sins. If you just come and tell these prayer partners, I want to pray that prayer, they will lead you in that prayer. Also, please take communion. You don't even have to be prayed for. Just come and take communion in the back, in the front. God bless you as we enter to response time. You have been listening to the Bethany Community Church Podcast. For more information, please visit us online at bccma.org. Thank you, and God bless.